Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 33, and it's being brought to you by DraftKings. You know, basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all of the action right now with DraftKings because they're the leader in one-day fantasy sports. They're giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes, but you need the code. The code is THPN. Use that during your sign-up. Now, playing daily fantasy basketball is really simple. Just pick your lineup, standard the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. And you'll feel the sweat like never before because every dunk, every steal, every assist will mean so much more with a DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Now, for you baseball fans, if you missed out on season-long fantasy, don't worry. Now is the time to get in on all of the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players. So what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during signup. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. So the Grizzlies are home at long last after their long road trip. And so let's get to that was the week that was to wrap it up. Grizzlies finished their road trip Monday night in Denver. Uh, this was a game where the Grizzlies had designs on going 5-2 and two on the road trip. They had felt very good about themselves coming out of Portland, having won two games against the Trailblazers. Uh, the Denver Nuggets put an end to all those really, really good feelings. And this is a Denver Nuggets team that is very, very good. Even without Jamal Murray, they have found production from a lot of different players who have stepped up in his absence. And the chief guy among them is Michael Porter Jr. He's having an absolutely fantastic month of April, averaging well north of 20 points per game during the month. Uh, he had had 39, a career high in the previous game. Denver coming off a blowout win over Houston. Porter put up 31 to go along with seven rebounds against the Grizzlies on Monday night, and he paced the Nuggets, who put four in double figures. Uh, A fairly pedestrian night from Nikola Jokic, 24 and 15 boards, actually had more turnovers, six, than assists, five, so the Grizzlies didn't surrender a triple-double to him, but the way Porter Jr. was shooting the basketball, Aaron Gordon made a real impact on this game as well. 15 points doesn't look like a whole lot, but it's 15 points on 10 shots in 22 minutes. Very efficient. Denver as a team, very efficient as well. Paul Millsap with a dozen off the bench. Denver shot 48% in this ballgame, and I would imagine it was some fatigue, some tired legs, the altitude, maybe some combination of all of that. Grizzlies shot just 42%. And the Grizzlies, who had come into the game a top-five team in the month of April in three-point percentage, a season-low four three-point makes, four out of 32. For you math nerds, that's 12.5%. Grizzlies were minus seven in threes, and that is a deficit that you're just not going to overcome very easily. Grizzlies lost 20 points off 16 turnovers. They only had three guys in double figures. John Morant leading the way with 27 for the Grizzlies. Jonas Valanciunas had 13. Jaron had 10 off the bench, but he needed 10 shots. Did have seven rebounds in the game. Dylan Brooks, subpar game from him, only nine. Kyle Anderson, only six. Uh, This was a game where the Grizzlies trailed 21-18 after one quarter. It was a fairly sloppy and uh, very cold shooting first quarter. But, uh, you know, the Grizzlies were down only four at halftime. Uh, And the fourth quarter is where the roof really caved in. 
as Denver outscored the Grizzlies 35-21 in the fourth quarter. So it apparently uh, fatigue probably did take a toll on this. The Nuggets had a day of rest. The Grizzlies did not. Nuggets leading by as many as 25 in this one. They go on to win it 120-96. Grizzlies had had a 22-game streak of scoring 100 or more points that tied the franchise record, which was originally set last year. Grizzlies could not break it. Denver holds them to 96. 120-96, the final on Monday night. Denver improves to 40-21. and Grizzlies fall to 31-29. and So the Grizzlies come home, the long-awaited homecoming against the Portland Trailblazers. Grizzlies trying to sweep three off of Portland in less than a week. That has only happened one other time since the 80s, and that was Utah sweeping Memphis earlier this year. Portland was coming off a fantastic game the night before in Indiana, a blowout win for the Blazers over Indiana to start a six-game road trip. They got an amazing effort from Anthony Simons, who made nine threes the night before. He wasn't nearly as prolific, but Wednesday night, this was a game where Terry Stotts decided that Maybe some of this isolation basketball isn't the best thing in the world for us because Dylan Brooks is a good one-on-one defender. And Terry Stott said, okay, let's find out just how good the Grizzlies' pick-and-roll defense is. And the Grizzlies' pick-and-roll defense was found wanting by the Portland Trail Blazers. Blazers got anything they wanted, any time they wanted. First quarter, uh, dribble penetration, getting shots in the paint. They were everywhere. They hung 38 on the board in the first quarter, led it 38-23 after one quarter were never seriously challenged after that. They put up, it was 74-46 at halftime, and everybody ate as far as Portland was concerned. They put three guys in double figures. And one of the things that Brevin Knight and I talked about during the course of the telecast was, for this Portland team to be successful, they need their wings to be really good. Uh, Nurkic and Cantor are good, uh, not great necessarily, but their wings, their wing play it has to be really good. And their wing play was sensational. C.J. McCollum with 26, Damian Lillard with 23, and Norman Powell had his best game against the Grizzlies uh, in a Trailblazer uniform anyway with 24. Portland 15 of 40 from three, not a great percentage, but they were plus six and three-pointers made. Again, the Grizzlies having just a really poor night from downtown, nine of 32 for 28%. And for a second consecutive game, the Grizzlies shooting 42% and uh, Portland at 49% and only 10 turnovers from the Trailblazers. This was a thorough domination by the Portland Trailblazers of the Memphis Grizzlies, 130-109 to the final. So the Grizzlies in the last two games giving up 120 and 130 points. The defense is rapidly becoming an issue for the Grizzlies. They had no answer for the Portland Trailblazers on Wednesday night. Uh, Grizzlies fall to 31 and 30. Blazers improved to 34 and 28. And uh, even though the Grizzlies take the season series, they lost a golden opportunity with Portland on the second of a back-to-back. Portland coming into Memphis. Grizzlies hoping to ride some momentum coming in off the road trip. Grizzlies lost a golden opportunity to pick up another game on the Portland Trail Blazers. Uh, Grizzlies were fortunate in that San Antonio, who's chasing them. Uh, from one spot down, also lost, losing to Miami. Uh, So the Grizzlies, not a really good homecoming. And uh, so since our last visit, 0-2 and and defensively, really struggling, also struggling to shoot the three ball. Grizzlies did get 19 points from Valanchunas, 18 from Dylan Brooks, only 10, but eight assists from John Morant. John didn't shoot it well, just three of 11 for the game. Jaron Jackson Jr. with double figures off the bench again, but needed 15 shots to accumulate 
13 points. So the Grizzlies at 31 and 30, currently eighth place in the West. Portland 34 and 28. They are in seventh place. More on the standings coming up in a little bit, but that was the week that was. And while I have a moment, I want to thank all of you who have been devoted listeners to the Grizz Weekly Grind, whether you download us from iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for being loyal listeners of the Grizz Weekly Grind. If you would be so kind to leave a rating, leave a review. If you have any questions, comments, anything you might like answered during a future episode of the Grizz Weekly Grind, hit me up. My DMs are open. I'm on Twitter at Pete Pranica, P-E-T-E-P-R-A-N-I-C-A. So uh, let me know what you're thinking. And uh, maybe if you've got some content ideas, always happy to hear those as well. And now back to the program. Let's get with some Petey's points. First one, uh, the Grizzlies family, another loss. Um, If you were not watching the telecast on Wednesday night, we announced that Brett Smith, uh, the senior director of broadcast operations for the Memphis Grizzlies and FedEx Forum, passed away on Monday night. Uh, the average fan would not have come across Brett Smith, but I think every Grizzlies fan owes Brett Smith a great debt of gratitude. He was the man when it came to the technology and the broadcast operations at FedEx Forum. So he was in charge of making sure that Grizzlies television got on the air, looked good. Same for Grizzlies radio uh, and also for Grind City Media. Uh, He had a lot on his plate and he handled it all so very well. And the professional loss to the Grizzlies organization is huge. The personal loss is even bigger. I mean, Brett had a larger-than-life personality, and he was excellent at his job, and he is going to be sorely, sorely missed. So our condolences, our thoughts, and our prayers with Brett's family on his untimely passing. Back to basketball. Uh, This is the hot topic in Memphis Grizzlies Twitter in particular, and among the local media, uh, there have been rotation changes. And the biggest rotation change is that Tyus Jones is out of the rotation. And Tyus Jones, uh, who did struggle, frankly, uh, during the month of March offensively, was having a better month of April. And Justice Winslow now has become the primary ball handler and offense initiator coming in off the bench for the Grizzlies. Uh, Justice Winslow, the, the front office prized him because they felt that He could score, he could drive, he could distribute the basketball, and could defend. Uh, A multi-tier player, if you will. Um, You know, unfortunately, that hasn't borne out as of yet. And so, you know, Tyus Jones, a very popular player, uh, very popular with the media, very popular with the fans. uh, And to see Justice Winslow struggling and coming in off the bench and Tyus Jones sitting on the bench, uh, it, it is not sat well certainly with a number of fans and uh, the media with some rather pointed questions for Taylor Jenkins after the loss to Portland about, you know, the lineups and why are you doing this? And, and, and basically, you know, Taylor Jenkins is now has a full arsenal of weapons and Jaron Jackson Jr. still coming off the bench. And, and that's another question that is being asked is when is Jaron going to actually start a basketball game? I know that they're trying to manage his minutes, trying to keep him probably around 20 minutes a game. So do you really want a starter who's only good for 20 minutes a game? Would you rather have a 20 minute player coming in off the bench? That might actually be the better role until Jaron can actually handle a load physically of 30 to, to 35 minutes or something like that. Bottom line is, the, the eye test and the metrics just really don't 
suggest that Winslow is being very productive with his basketball team. I, I looked up the net ratings. He has the worst net rating of any rotation player and also the lowest offensive rating of any rotation player. And the Grizzlies as a team have the second best net rating when he's off the floor. So the results, and small sample size, I get that, but the results haven't been there. And this is one of the things that people are questioning now as you come down the stretch. You're trying to win some basketball games. You're trying to, can you possibly get the sixth seed in the West and avoid the play-in situation? You certainly don't want to be 9 through 10 because then you got to win two games in order to qualify for the playoffs. I understand what Taylor Jenkins is doing. You've got a lot of weapons now, and you're trying to figure out how best to deploy those, and you are just now getting to a point where everybody is healthy. Remember, Winslow missed 11 games. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. obviously had been out the vast majority of the season. So now you're trying some different things, and at least to this point, the, the returns haven't, haven't been the best. Understanding that this is a coaching staff that said, look, we feel this guy can do a lot of different things. We need to put him on the floor with different, different combinations to try to figure this out. So patience. Yes, heretofore hasn't worked out the best. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, again, this is something where, you know, fans are upset. Uh, the media is starting to question Taylor Jenkins. You, you'd like to see justice flourish. You'd like to see this work out in some way, shape, or form. To this point, it's been a bit of a struggle, and we'll have to see how, how, how this eventually plays out. Brings me to the standings. Standings right now. Portland is in seventh. Grizzlies are in eighth. Uh, Grizzlies two games behind in the loss column to the Portland Trailblazers. Grizzlies hold the tiebreaker. Right now, San Antonio is in ninth. They have an identical record to Memphis at 31-30 and 30 after their Wednesday night loss to the Miami Heat. Grizzlies hold the tiebreaker over San Antonio because the Grizzlies took two or three from the Spurs. Golden State is only a half game behind San Antonio at 31-31. and 31. Grizzlies play Golden State, third and final meeting, last game of the regular season. It is in San Francisco, and the two teams split their first two meetings. Uh, that game at Golden State could determine a lot of stuff, because right now, if you're not familiar with the play-in scenario, here's how it goes. Seven plays eight. So right now, Portland would host Memphis in the first play-in game. The winner of that game becomes the seventh seed. The loser of that game then has to play the winner of the 9-10 game. The winner of that game becomes the eighth seed, and the loser of that game is eliminated. What you don't want to be is you don't want to be in a 9-10 slot because you lose one game and your season is over with. So, um, you know, that's why the Grizzlies coming in, they have the easiest schedule coming in. They have a couple of games against Sacramento. They're out of the playoffs. You've got a, a game against Minnesota. You have a couple of games against Orlando. They're out of the playoff race as well. Uh, Grizzlies are going to have to handle their business against sub-500 teams, and um like I said, last couple of games, defense has been a real issue for the Grizzlies. They're going to have to get their ship righted, and it has to happen against the Orlando Magic, or otherwise the Grizzlies do run the risk of falling into that 9-10 area where you put yourself in extreme jeopardy, one bad game, and, and your season is over with. Final Petey's point for today. Speaking of the playoffs, congratulations to Monty Williams and the Phoenix Suns. They end a long, long, long playoff drought by... Uh, getting into the playoffs, qualifying officially on Wednesday night at 44-18. and 18. Right now, they are the two seed, and they're not all that far behind Utah. Utah, the number one seed at 45-17 and 17 after blowing out the Sacramento Kings, and the Phoenix Suns a game behind at 44-18. and 18. 
Speaking of the Sacramento Kings, their playoff drought will continue, and this is a franchise that they have such an amazing fan base there in Northern California, but they have not been able to get over the hump. I know that the Western Conference is very, very tough, but Sacramento, despite whoever they've had as as their coach, even with De'Aaron Fox, um, even with Marvin Bagley, who has been often injured, even with Harrison Barnes, who's a remarkable talent, they just have not been able to break through, and it's another year of missing the playoffs in Sacramento. And it would be great. And, and look, it's, it's great that the New York Knicks are relevant again. I think the league is great when the Knicks are relevant, the Lakers are relevant, the Celtics are relevant. But you'd like to see Sacramento back in that mix. Um, it would be really, really nice for that very avid fan base to have a winner to reward all their fandom. But uh, that's not going to happen this year. And that does it for today's edition of Petey's Points. We're going to get to our friend of the program in a moment. It's Jared Greenberg of NBA TV and Turner Sports. But before we do that, we'll tell you that today's show is being brought to you by Garner Framing Company. And they ask if there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Well, if the answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today. So don't delay. Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company. They've been serving Memphis for 70 years, and they're a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. They're doing their framing consultations by appointment. Call my good friend Chris Garner at 901-685-7796. Whether you're framing a Grizzlies jersey, uh, an autographed photo, uh, a piece of art, whatever you've got, Chris and his group will do a fantastic job at Garner Framing Company. That's 901-685-7796. And that brings us to today's friend of the program. I've had the opportunity to work with Jared Greenberg at NBA TV on playoff games and also summer league games in Las Vegas. He is an ace sideline reporter, also a studio host for NBA TV this year. Previously, he had also been heard on Sirius XM NBA radio. He is very, very well dialed into the NBA as a whole, despite the fact that he hasn't been able to go to games this year because of COVID. So welcome to the club, Jared. But uh, we had a real good conversation that uh, we're going to break into two parts because it was so good. I kept them uh, kept them recording for uh, about half an hour. So we're going to give you a part one of that conversation where we talk about uh, the MVP race because uh, he's been enduring a few uh, a few hate tweets uh, from people conversing about the most valuable player, and that always is a topic of conversation. And uh, Jared also talking about uh, his view of the Memphis Grizzlies from a national perspective. So here he is, our friend of the program for episode 33, Jared Greenberg. Jared, obviously you have a national platform on on Turner. Uh, Let's get the national view with what people think of the Memphis Grizzlies, where they are, have they overachieved? What, What is the outside perception of the Grizzlies? For me personally, Pete, I, I think it's, you know, I think they're, they're right where many people thought they would be. Um, and that, you know, that that's not taking into account the weirdness of the year and all the injuries and uh, not knowing about uh, Jaron Jackson and, and Justice Winslow missing as much time as he has. Um, you know, I think it's been, it's been a, an interesting year for Ja from, from the outside looking in you know, the slow start he got off to, and then just how hot he has been of late, I think speaks to his ability to rise to the occasion. Um, 
But, you know, I think most of the guys that I work with, um, you know, in particular, you know, I work with Isaiah Thomas every, every Wednesday night and the hall of fame, Isaiah Thomas. And, and he keeps, he's been saying for weeks, watch out for Memphis, watch out for Memphis. And, you know, working with guys like Steve Smith, who's so close to Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, he knows uh, what, what he's capable of. You know, I think, I think we tend to um, not just in the NBA world, but in all of sports. And I guess it speaks to our, our society and culture at this point, but we, we, we tend to, to not be patient with, with growth and natural development. You know, people got a taste, for example, of the Grizzlies last year, you know, going into the bubble with them being in position to make the playoffs and then losing in the play. And, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, now they, they must take that next step, which is secure a top six spot in the playoffs. And, and Josh should be an MVP candidate. And, and, you know, soon enough, there'll be a championship team. It's not really how it works when you're growing from within in the NBA, unless you're poaching free agents or have the ability to go out and make massive blockbuster trades. Uh, for the most part, champions are, are built over time and it doesn't happen overnight. And I think where the Grizzlies are at is, is just fine. Yes, it, it'd be great to make the playoffs. It'd be great to avoid the play-in. But I think being in the play-in, Pete, uh, is a great next step for the Grizzlies. And I think as much as, and you could speak to this way better than me, but as much as everyone within the organization didn't like last year that they felt like they almost got cheated from making the playoffs last year, being forced into that play and losing to that Portland team the way they did probably helped in a way that just making the playoffs maybe wouldn't have helped and, and developed a chip on the shoulder that I don't know if they would have had otherwise. Yeah, I think that's a fair fair commentary. Ja lives on slights, real yes. or perceived, and, and, right. it, and it drives him, and it certainly drove him when the Grizzlies got the two games in Portland over the weekend. Um, you like to play in? I mean, yeah. you know, we're, we're hearing Mark Cuban like, oh, well, it was a mistake, and Luka right. Doncic doesn't like it. Right. I guess it, maybe it depends where you are in the standings, but – <laughs> your, your your thoughts with a larger play in tournament between seven and eight and, eight and nine and ten? Yeah, I think you make a great point. I think where you are in the standings dictates whether you like the play in tournament or not. I like it for this reason, and it's interesting because growing up as a baseball fan, when baseball added that extra wild card round, which essentially is the same thing as what we're doing, right? It's the play in. I didn't like it, but as as entrenched as I am now in the NBA, I do like it for this reason. We had a massive problem in the NBA for a long time, which was having teams being motivated to win on a nightly basis, particularly the last couple of weeks or month of the regular season. And I think it was a disservice to the fans. I think it was a disservice to the integrity of the 82, now 72-game regular season. And I think it gives people a reason to stay tuned, to invest Pete, you as a, you know, as a team broadcaster, um, you now have reason um, for every game for your fans to be invested in that. And I think that we as a league have done a really poor job up until now of, of making the regular season meaningful. And we always kind of are in this championship or bust mentality and now I think we get more teams involved in, in being included in something that's fun. Um, and so I like that. Until we figure out the tanking problem, until we 
can get all 30 owners and teams on board with understanding that game 62 means as much as game 82, which means as, as much as game five. Uh, the resting problem we have in this league, I, I think until we overcome all of that, we need to have other incentives. And I think this play-in tournament is the best of that. And I think, too, we saw it last year in the bubble, and I think we'll see it again this year. And I think it'll be reflected in TV ratings that the play-in games have as much interest nationally because of that March Madness feel as anything we can provide in the playoffs. So I think for now it is a best possible – is it – is it is it a perfect solution? No, but is the best possible next step? I think yes. Yeah, and I, I agree with you because it it involves more teams, it involves more fan bases, and therefore more eyes and ears in terms of ratings, and it does make the end of the season more relevant. I've yeah. I've always been intrigued with what the NFL does, where the the team you're always playing a divisional rival right. late in the season, and I. You know, when you only play your divisional rivals four times, it's kind of hard to spread it out through 82, and you don't maybe don't want to back weight the schedule. But I kind of like the thought that you you kind of schedule for rivalries and divisional games late in the season. And I, I think I'd like to see the NBA do a little bit more of that. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think if, if you're in sixth but with a possibility of sliding into seventh, you don't like to play in tournament at all. But I think overall for the league, it, it probably is a, a really good thing. One of the great debates we're having right now as we visit with Jared Greenberg, today's friend of the program on the Grizz Weekly Grind, is the MVP race. <laughs> now, <laughs> every, everybody has an opinion uh, on this, but let's, let's, let's take it back a step, Jared. Yeah. Most valuable player. How do you define most valuable? And as a corollary to that, do you almost need to change the award? And the NCAA, it's the most outstanding player, yeah. Uh, as opposed to the NBA and most other professional sports leagues, it's, it's the most valuable player. How do you define most valuable when you've got so many great players in our league? Well, I think the number one thing, and, and this is really hard, I think, for fans to understand, and I totally get it, um, but be, having the privilege of being a voter for the last several years, I've really, you know, I take this very seriously um, because I think it means a lot to fan bases. It means a lot to the legacy of players and, you know, um, I think the biggest thing is that not to go into each year with a definition and make make a circle fit a square type of thing. I think what I've always said since I've I've started to become a voter is that each year is like a fingerprint. There are different reasons why players win MVP each year. Um, the reason why Giannis won MVP last year for me is not the same reason why I'm going to put whoever I put on the top line for the MVP this season. It's just a different year. There's different circumstances and you can't, you can't compare, which is, which is why I feel it's unfair that people say, well, you know, this guy won it back in 2001. Well, I wasn't voting in 2001 and just because he won doesn't mean I agree. There have been years uh, since I've started voting that I did not vote on my top line for MVP for the guy who won MVP, right? That doesn't mean I'm wrong. That doesn't mean the other people are wrong either. It's just a matter of opinion, and it's however they calculate the votes that work out. Um, you know, I think it's a combination, though, ultimately of um, your overall performance, analyzing the stats that matter, certainly the eye test, 
And then I think the impact on winning has to be the most important thing, you know, too, because there has to be a value to that. Um, again, to clarify, the NBA, when, when they give you your voting sheet at the end of the year, does not give you any set site uh, criteria. You have to make that up on your own. Should we have criteria? I don't know. Again, because I think that would put us in a box that would make it too tight from year to year that would it would need to change. Should we change it to most outstanding player? Fine. I, I, I'd be fine with that. I, I think that that's a, that's a fair, that is fair. It, it is hard because I think if you, you did sit down with the NBA and say, okay, well, let's divide this, devise this criteria, right. you would be arguing for hours on hours. end, right. which is essentially the same debate where you, know, you can have right now. It's like, well, what, what is a player's value to a team? And I think, number one, the team has to be successful. Right. You know, and what impact does that particular player have? And so when you look at this year's MVP race, I know a lot of people are very excited about Steph Curry and what he's done for that Golden State team. I look at Nikola Jokic, and this guy's top 20 in multiple offensive categories. And over and above having the fact he's having a career year, this Denver team's really, really good. And even without Jamal Murray, they've been able to play some pretty good basketball. Jokic, for me, really defines a most valuable player. Uh, you don't have to disclose your vote, and there's still some time left in the regular season, but who are, yeah. who are the guys that really, really stand out to you? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, and, and I'm always happy to talk about who my guy is at the moment with the caveat that there is time to play, and I have every right to change my mind between now and you know the middle of May when our votes are due. I'm with you. I think the guy right now is Nikola Jokic. I think he's the the only guy that is top 10 in points, rebounds, and assists. I think he has appeared in every game this season in a year where almost everybody has missed time, whether it's due to health and safety or injury or other reasons. Um, he has has stood out, and I think he has been dominant. He has takeover moments. Um and he has really impacted his team. And I, I think it's too, it's a tough balance. You know, you said value to his team, but I also think you need to expand that conversation to value to the league as well, right? I think it's, it's, it's a combination of both. I think, um, you know, Embiid is right there. I think he's, he's on his tail now. You know, I, I was just, I'm doing my prep work for, for my show on NBA TV tonight, and I'm looking through all these numbers and, and realizing at this point that, Due to the, the game's miss that Embiid has, um, he is no longer qualifying for any of the leaderboards. So Joel Embiid technically is the third leading scorer in the NBA, but you won't find him on any leaderboards because of his time missed, right? So it's, it's, it's a weird, it's weird. So, you know, I think you have to include Jokic and Embiid to me are, are the top two guys. And then I think there's a bunch of others. Um Steph, certainly Luca, maybe Giannis, maybe again, he's missed a lot of time lately. Um, you know, there's that massive Chris Paul debate that's going on right now. I think another name that that's creeping in there that makes a lot of sense recently, I think is, is Julius Randall. And I think we need to separate and clarify when we say this, when I mention a name like Julius Randall, I'm not saying I think he's going to win an MVP. I think that, when the NBA gives me my ballot and I have five lines to fill out, there is a potential that three through five may have one of those names on it. Right. 
Yeah, because there are so many guys that are deserving. When you look at what Randall has done and what he has yeah. been to that basketball team, along with Tom yeah. Thibodeau, uh, there, there's, there's no denying. Now, is he the most valuable player? But you're no. right. I mean, you, you get right. to pick one through five, and, and, and they weight the votes, and, and that's all, all well and good. And uh, I kind of miss the fact that team broadcasters no longer can vote for the awards. It was Well, there are some guys who screwed it up. Yeah. Let's yeah. be honest about that. There's a reason why the NBA took that – uh, that distinction away from team broadcasters because there were some guys who not only it, it came not to get too much into the weeds about it, but not only did they vote for their guys too much, but they would manipulate the voting and put the guy who ultimately would win further down on their ballot or leave him off the ballot to manipulate the point totals. And it would really screw things up. Yeah. And I, and I'm with you. I, I took those, voting opportunities extremely seriously because it does affect somebody's legacy. It does affect their biography. It does affect their resume. And, and unfortunately, you know, team broadcasters have some of them, some of, and some of the beat writers too, uh, you know, oh, made yeah. some, made some, made some really strange decisions. And enough about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah, know, the Chris Paul MVP debate. Yes. Um, this Phoenix Suns team, I knew when they hired Monty Williams that they were going to get better. And they were fantastic in the bubble. They won all eight eight seeding games. Could anybody have predicted, even with the addition of Chris Paul and another year with Monty Williams, could anybody have predicted Phoenix would be this good? Probably not. I, I think that has a lot to do with the other teams in the West. I think that you couldn't have predicted the injuries to the Lakers. I think people thought the Clippers would be better. Um, I think... People thought Denver would have started off the year a little better than they did. And I think people thought Dallas was going to take that next giant leap. And Portland, with the offseason additions that they made, would be a lot better. So I think I think not to take anything away from Phoenix, because I, I would love to talk glowingly about the Suns. I think the reason why Phoenix is in the position they are, and, and in part, in part, is because of how disappointing some of these other teams are inconsistent. Some of these other teams have been a lot having to do with the strange year we're having, no doubt, but no, no question. Um, and I don't, Pete, I, I mean, I've been on Twitter all week this week and I need to stop, <laughs> but debating with people about this, this Chris Paul thing, because, you know, circling back to the MVP conversation, I think what's important to note in my book is that the, the MVP award is for this regular season. Right. It is not a lifetime achievement award. That that will be Chris Paul will be a Hall of Famer. He will be in the elite wing of the Hall of Fame as one of the greats of our game. And I know that people are looking for him to get his just due because of what he did last year in Oklahoma City and what he was able to do this year in Phoenix. There's no question the intangibles he brings to the table are unbelievable. But if you strip the name off of the back of his jersey and look at his performance, which has been good, it's been really good, you would never consider him to be a most valuable player to the league. Is he the most valuable player to the team? Maybe. And the reason why it's a maybe is because a guy like Devin Booker has been so darn good this year for Phoenix. And I think, you know, part, part of what I struggle with is, you know, can you be MVP of the league if you are not the best player on your team. And that doesn't mean that you're not a good player. That doesn't mean that you're having a bad year. That doesn't mean I'm a hater. It just means that the MVP for the 
2021 season has to be doing something extraordinary, both on the impact on winning and both in the statistical categories and in the eye tests that lead me to say in 10 years, when I look back on this season, will I be okay with the decision I made? And Phoenix is great. Monty Williams has done great. Chris Paul has added intangibles. And the other night in New York, how clutch he was, no question. That, that, that was a great moment for him. But the best player on the Phoenix Suns has been Devin Booker. And the reason why the Suns are in second place in the Western Conference, in my opinion, and the reason why they're on, uh, hot on the tails of, of Utah for the best record in the NBA is because of the play of Devin Booker. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I also agree with you that the MVP is not a lifetime achievement award. Maybe the NBA needs to come up with, with something sure. like that. But no, I mean, you're right. Chris Paul, I don't think, is the best player on that team. Devin Booker is. And um, you, you also talk about the awkward transition here. Oh, by the way, if you want to follow Jared on Twitter, it's Jared S. Greenberg. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's his Twitter Send handle. Send the hate tweets my way. Yeah. Oh, um, sometimes Twitter can be a cesspool. And yes, we're going to have more from Jared Greenberg in episode 34 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, which will be out early next week. He talks about some of um, some of the analysts he's had the opportunity to work with at Turner and the great family atmosphere there. And uh, the, the people at Turner are, are great. I've had the opportunity to work a couple of playoffs with NBA TV and a few summer leagues for them as well. And it's a it's a great group of people really enjoy working with them. So we've got that coming up. Uh, in the next edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, which will come out uh, early next week. And uh, by way of preview, we can tell you that uh, finally got on the calendar of Rick Shadiak, the uh, CEO of ALSAC, which is the fundraising arm of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We're going to record a conversation early May. That'll become part of our 901 Knowledge series. We'll talk about the intersection of sports and philanthropy as it relates to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, of course. They have been very involved with the NBA and the NBA Cares program and the FedEx St. Jude Invitational Golf Tournament, which is coming up later on in summer. So all that stuff's coming up. This has been Episode 33 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community, their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com and you can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. Our thanks to Jared Greenberg for being our friend of the program today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. 